The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Yeah, no Lauren today. She'll be back, though. She promises she'll be back. She's just a little bit busy doing the the debits and credits, if you will. You know, she she's an accountant. So listen, just let her let her be. Okay, she's trying to organize things, folks. We appreciate you guys jumping on as always to listen to us, uh, folks. We have a great great conversation coming up. With Matt Babcock, he is a NBA draft analyst. We're going to be talking about Victor Wembanyama. We're going to be talking about Scoot Henderson, the Thompson brothers, essentially everything related to the NBA draft. It's a great conversation from someone who is in the know. You'll want to listen to it. Uh, wanted to talk about two things before we head into the situation with Matt Babcock. The interview, fool. I don't know what's a situation. Why is it a situation? It's an interview. It was a great interview. Um, LeBron James. He will be out at least three weeks with a foot tendon injury. He hurt that. He hurt his foot. Uh, obviously, everybody saw the clip, the viral clip of him saying it popped. It popped against the Dallas Mavericks. The Ma- the Lakers ended up winning that game, and they're still in playing territory. They're still fighting for that playing spot. But losing LeBron is definitely going to hurt you, folks. Uh, I do not think there is a world where this team ends up a playoff team without him. And if he's out for at least three weeks. That's troublesome, uh, to say the least. I think I'm I'm stating the obvious here when I mention that. But I think for me, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with LeBron. Obviously, there's going to be the people who are betting on him to come back, and I think I think I would be one that says he does end up coming back this season. I don't think LeBron mails in the season and says that he's not going to be playing. I think that if there is a possibility that he can play, if he's physically able to play. LeBron James will end up playing this season, even if it means the last 10 games, five games, to give the Lakers just a little bit of a chance. The other aspect of this is to watch Anthony Davis. You clearly, that that's the number one guy now on the Los Angeles Lakers for the next couple of weeks. I don't want to say that he has to prove it because he's done it in the past. Obviously, the bubble, he was great to start this season. He looked like an all-NBA player before he got hurt. But if there's any moment where the Lakers need to rely on their second superstar, it's right now. And if he can carry them to wins, if he can carry them to just keep them alive in that playing race, I think, I mean, he's he's 100% capable of it, ladies and gentlemen. He really is. Uh, and I, I that's that's something I would bet on. I think, you know, a lot of people are skeptical about Anthony Davis. That's something I would bet on. Speaking about betting, want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or in Ontario. Download the app using the QR code on your screen. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Now, another team that I want to talk about, two teams I want to talk about, win streaks, baby. Win streaks, win streaks. The first one is the Milwaukee Bucks. They've won 16 games in a row. Yes, I did not stutter. That is 16 games, which is wild because that's not even the best this team has done. This core, 
won 18 games in a row in the 2019-2020 season. They are absolutely sensational right now. They are playing out of their mind. Chris Middleton has has looked a lot better, even though he's still coming off of the bench. Jay Crowder, his addition is interesting. I just saw a report that there's potential that Goran Dragic might be added to that team as well, as if they didn't need more old players. That's a joke, but don't worry. The Bucks are actually very good, ladies and gentlemen. They look better. Their offense looks much better throughout this win streak. And they're the number one seed in the West, uh, in the East. Number one seed in the Eastern Conference, ahead of the Boston Celtics, who have looked like world beaters this entire season. And now the Bucks seem like they are right there with them. I, I, I personally would have had them with them the entire time. Uh, this entire season, I think the Bucks definitely still have a chance to make the NBA Finals. Uh, more than a chance, they have they have whatever whatever three four times a fighter's chance, a puncher's chances. That's what the Milwaukee Bucks have. So I I love what they've been doing so far. Holiday has just been amazing at the point of attack for them. He's been creating well. Middleton, his shot creation is something that's been crucial to them. Giannis Antetokounmpo is clearly playing at an MVP-type level. Brooke Lopez looking like a Defensive Player of the Year type of candidate. I think the Bucks are awesome. I really think that, especially with the Crowder addition, they've added that certain level. Just one player sometimes gives you a little bit more depth than you, than you have. Uh, it kind of completes the team, if you will. And that's what Jay Crowder has done for this team. So 16 wins in a row. If they end up getting to 20, which they very well could, if they end up getting to 20, um, folks, that's that's like all-time territory. There's only six other teams who have got to 20, including the Bucks of like I think the 1970, 1971 Bucks, the year they won the championship the first time with Kareem. That That's the team that won 20 games in a row. So, man, we'll see what happens. The Bucks have a chance to make history this week. And if they do, I am – Betting on them, if we're talking about betting, go to Sports Interaction again. I'm doing two ad reads, folks. The other team on a win streak is the New York Knicks. They've won seven games in a row, uh, and they they look incredible. Jalen Brunson has been awesome, and this is what I wanted to talk about before I jumped into the interview. I have released a video about Jalen Brunson on the YouTube channel. You can go and check it out, SDPN Sports on YouTube. It is there for you to watch. It is a full breakdown of how Jalen Brunson has completely changed the complexion, not only of the Knicks this season, but as a franchise. They now have stability. They now have someone that they can rely on night in and night out. And Brunson is that guy for them. He has completely shaped what Knicks basketball can be for the next five plus years. So I love the addition. There were a lot of people that were skeptical about signing him to that type of money. And to that, I say, go and watch the video. Because it's a good breakdown of what he has done to change that team, what he brings to that team, and a little bit of a it's it's a little bit of love for Kyle Lowry too. Villanova products, Villanova products. And speaking of the draft, speaking of college, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to my interview with Matt Babcock, NBA draft analyst. Let's do it. All right, we're joined by Matt Babcock, senior NBA draft analyst for Draft Digest. Uh, Matt, how you doing so far tonight? No, I'm doing great. How, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm 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 excited because this is the time of year. Uh, what, you know, obviously being predominantly an NBA podcast, this is the time of year where I start to really tune in and hone in on the NBA draft, and I think that's. That's sort of how the general NBA fandom also feels about this. This is when they start to get a little bit more serious about the NBA draft and and what 
you know, is going to be coming up. I know, obviously, with Victor Wembanyama, there's a lot of hype around him as a prospect. Um, I know you had the chance to to see him up close in person. Uh, I think his skills, his abilities are well documented by now. There's there's tons of pieces that have been out about him. Uh, but as someone who's who's watched him in close, up close and personal, what is an underrated aspect of Victor, um, either skill wise or maybe you know personnel or whatever? But uh, what do you think? What do you think is is an interesting aspect that people may not be mentioning as much when it comes to Wembenyama? Yeah, I, mean, I think from a skill set, I mean, everybody's identifying all the right stuff. I mean, it's it's really not hard to see. I mean, he's he's so big and long, uh, you know, combined with right. uh, you know guard level skills uh, and, and coordination. And so, uh, you know, a guy that size and, and and you know as skilled as he is, he's just he's just so unique. Um, I think I think one thing that might be a little underrated with him is how mature he is. I mean, having done homework on him, you know, getting to know about his personality and sort of just his uh, his whole stick. Uh, seems like a guy that's going to be a pro's pro, uh, and so that's something I haven't heard discussed a whole lot. Uh, but you know, mm-hmm. it's not just he's a talent. I think he, I think he's wired to be a great player as well. Yeah, I think uh, you know there there have been some pieces that have come out recently about how he's wired and, and and the way that he works on his own body. I think there's a lot of conversation about how he approaches the game. You know, whether it be the the physicality that he uses, or maybe even some people think of the lack of physicality. Um, but but from what I've seen highlight wise, and and what we've kind of what we've seen, have we lost him? Did we lose him? No, we didn't lose him. We get him. Uh, no, what what we've uh, what we've seen from Wembenyama in general is that he doesn't he he's not afraid of contact. A lot of people talk about that physicality as if it's it's something that's uh, a, a con, but realistically, he is more than willing to be a physical player. Um, it's just that he has the skill set to be a guard and to be a guard like player. Where do you think he slots in in the NBA positionally? Because there's a lot of conversation about you know him not wanting to play center as much, him maybe wanting to to play more as a wing. Where do you think he slots in positionally? Because today's NBA is is not a lot about the positions, if you will, specifically. But you know, I'm sure someone's going to slot him in somewhere, right? No, I'm sure, and you kind of alluded to it. You know, it's the game has become uh, much more positionless, and I think I think Victor is a perfect example of that. I mean, whether you, you pencil him in as a four or a five or even a three, um, you know, I, I don't really think it matters that much. He's going to be blocking shots, dunking stuff, doing a lot of face up uh, right. play, you know, putting putting the ball on the floor. Uh, you know, and he's really, I think he, he's uh, really just a good example of the evolution of the NBA game. I mean, you know, we we haven't seen players like him because in years past, guys his size that were skilled. We're just thrown right, right down on the block. I mean, you can look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Ralph Sampson. I mean, who knows right. what these guys would have been like if they would have been brought up in today's game. You know, I mean, maybe Kareem would have been right. a face-up big. I mean, he was so skilled. But, like, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, I mean, he was a totally back-to-the-basket player just because of his size. Right, yeah. I, I, I've always wondered that, too. And that's something I'm fascinated about Fascinated about NBA evolution-wise. Because you look at the, the bigs that have – sort of molded the way for Wembenyama. I made a video about this recently, but if you think about, you know, the Kevin Garnett coming in as a unicorn out of high school, being that mobile type of big, and then now you have you sort of have like the Dirk Nowitzkis, those type of players that can stretch the floor a little bit more. And then later on, the Kevin Durants who are seven feet tall, but they're essentially playing like wings and they, they, they act as if they're wings on the court. I think those types of players really help shape who Wembenyama is today. Um, and I, I'm sort of the to to kind of move that forward, 
I wonder how Wemby affects the future of the NBA. Uh, and, you know, th- there's this idea right now that a lot of teams are, are doubling down on size. I have the Raptors game right here on, on, on the right here, and the Raptors have emphasized size consistently. They have this 6-9 method that they, they like to run with. I guess my question for you is, how do you think Wembenyama either doubles down on the current trend in the NBA to, you know, that size trend, if you will, uh, or how does he, how does he impact it? Yeah, I mean, I think he contributes to it for sure. Obviously, he needs to have success. I mean, as of right now, he's just a great right. talent and prospect. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think any of these guys coming in are, are finished products by any means. So, uh, but if he ends up, you know, uh, developing and you know how everybody's projecting, yeah, I think he'll continue to influence the the positionless game and um, kind of getting big men out of that that stereotype that they just have to be you know low post scorers and uh, you know rim protectors. Uh, I mean, you know, Wemby's got essentially all the different tools in his game you can, you can imagine, uh, especially for a guy of that size. Defensively, I think he fits in almost automatically. It's going to be a very seamless fit for him as a rim protector, as a guy who can be the anchor of a defensive team. I guess the more of the questions I have is offensively how he looks. Is he going to be your number one shot creator on a team is what is that the the goal for a guy like Wembenyama, or is he more of a complimentary, you know, pick and pop type guy where he's he's spotting up in a position, or he's like a high post guy that they can create some shots for in that area? Where does Wemby fit offensively, and it, do we have a clear cut answer for that yet? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a clear cut answer. I, I don't I don't know if he necessarily needs to be uh, this, you know offensive engine like lead the league in scoring to be a huge success story because he just he does he affects the game in so many different ways uh you know being mm-hmm. being a finisher being a guy that could stretch it being a guy that rebounds and, and blocks everything in sight so um you know i i do think there's a chance he could end up being a big time scorer but it's not absolutely necessary and, and as far as role goes I, I could see him doing um you know sort of like a porzingis type role with a little bit more versatility of putting, putting the ball on the floor um, right. But, you know, I mean, Porzingis, you know, it starts at the three-point line. Everything's face up, finishes at the rim a lot, shoots it. I, I think uh, Victor has got a, chance, a good chance of being a lot better than him. Uh, but from a role standpoint, I could see something uh, like like Porzingis. There's there's a lot of, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, I, if I'm off on this, but I see a lot of similarities with a guy who was drafted last year in Chet Holmgren. I think there there are a lot of similar values to what they bring to the game. It's just that Wembenyama is six foot five, or sorry, seven foot five, and <laughs> he's three inches. He's three inches taller than him, and and he also like obviously there's there's a skill level there that is a little bit better offensively, the shooting and whatnot. And I think there's more offensive upside for a guy like Wembenyama. But in terms of how they can impact the game, even at a floor level, at a base level it seems like they can contribute in similar ways. I don't know if oh, I'm, I totally I'm agree. I've actually issue. said that on, uh, on other interviews too, and uh, agree, agree with that comparison wholeheartedly. I, I think, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head, very, very similar style of play. Uh, Victor's just so much longer, you know, I mean, you right. know, seven, four, seven, five, eight foot wingspan. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And uh, yeah. the, the other thing too is, you know, they both need to add weight, fu- functional weight. Uh, I, I do think Victor has naturally a, a better body, a, a more athletic body. It looks like he's got a frame that will, will be able to add weight. Uh, at least I, I hope so. Uh, whereas Chet right. seems like he's got that body type where it's just you're probably not going to get get a whole lot of a, extra weight on him. Uh, I think he just yeah. kind of is what he is. But um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with the comparison. 
Yeah, I, I wonder because like, uh, you know, obviously I cover the Raptors and, and watching Chris Boucher develop from what he was in Oregon to, to now, uh, it was always a question of if he'd ever fill out frame wise. And I don't think he was ever going to be the type of player that could fill out frame wise because he didn't have that type of, you know, shoulder width and whatnot to be able to do it. Wemby sort of seems the opposite to that. Uh, wanted to ask you because this was this was reported in terms of preferred landing spots for Wembenyama. Do you personally think Wembenyama has a preferred landing spot? And what is your preferred landing spot for Wembenyama, if you think so? You know, I mean, the thing about it is that the, the teams picking at the top, you know, none of them are any good, right? That's why they're up there. So right. uh, pro- probably, I, I would bet there's probably not a strong preference. Uh, you know, I know his, you know his agent was my partner when I was an agent, Buna Njai. He's based in Dallas. Yeah. So I mean I'm sure selfishly he would he wouldn't mind him being in San Antonio because it'd be a lot easier for him to go see him. But um, right, Texas. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Th- there's not there's not one team that that uh, picking towards the top that I think would be just a you know a natural no brainer. But hey, that's that's the team that we want. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the other guy in this draft that I think uh, has as you know has been not talked about as much, but seems like such an interesting prospect. The guy who seems surefire in a lot of ways, and that is Scoot Henderson. Uh, in many other drafts, you know, in the past, he probably ends up as a number one overall pick. But with Wemby being the unicorn, the 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 kind of guy that everybody is enamored with, he slots in at number two at most draft boards. How big of a gap do you think there really is between Wemby and Scoot? And do we see that changing when they end up actually playing in the league? You know, I mean, there's such difference, you know, style of players. I mean, it's hard to compare the two. Uh, I mean, right. I think it's safe to say that everybody, you know, for the most part has Victor slightly ahead of Scoot at least. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm a really, really high on Scoot. I've, I've known him since he was 16 years old. His family had me come out to Atlanta and uh, meet with him and watch him work out. And I saw I saw back then, you know, his, uh, his, his, his laser-focused, uh, you know, competitiveness and, and drive uh, to go right. along with some physical tools, uh, you know, that really make him special. I mean, he's sort of... Uh, like Derek Rose in his prime type of mold of player where, mm. you know, on-ball creator that's always putting pressure on you, uh, gets to his spots, just extreme, extremely powerful and explosive. And he's got these big old hands, too. He's got these, like, Kawhi Leonard, like, big old paws and can, like, scoop up the ball with ease. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I, I think he's got a chance of being, you know, a franchise-type player. And so, yeah, there, there's def- definitely a scenario where, I mean, Scoot ends up being, you know, the better player. Uh, but... I, I do think Victor uh, overall at this stage is, is the better prospect. Right. Yeah. Well, it's more so also the uniqueness of Victor's situation. It's not like every day there's a seven foot guy, seven foot five guy that plays like Victor comes along in the draft and is this talented, right? So there's a little bit of that unicorn aspect, the intrigue, if you will, of a guy like that with, with Scoot. The, the, the difference is I think some of the things that you mentioned earlier is like, look, we've seen what Scoot looks like in the NBA. It's more of a known product, a known entity. Uh, I guess the, the question based on that is – and this is this is sort of a side note when it comes to Scoot Henderson. The three-point shot was something that was a question going into you know this season. He's, he's improved on that steadily, but do you – think he is going to be because Derek Rose obviously not a not a great three-point shooter another guy who he's been compared to Russell Westbrook not a great three-point shooter do you think the comparisons in that sense are off do you think he'll end up being a better shooter than those two guys 
You know, I mean, he's definitely not, you know, naturally a pure shooter. I mean, I mentioned he's got the big hands, and, and he plays so fast. I mean, the guy's going like 100 miles per hour at all times, which makes mm-hmm. him great. Uh, but, it, you know, I think it kind of, you know, the combination of uh, sort of having some wasted motion with the long arms and him just going so fast all the time uh, makes it hard to, to have it be a repeatable shot. Uh, the one thing that gives me hope with him is that he's just such a tireless worker. I mean, he really, uh, right. you know, really a confident kid that that puts the time in. Uh, guys like that usually continue to improve, and so uh, I think with Scoot, he is talented enough to be, you know, sort of a, a lead creator with the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, similar similar to Derrick Rose or Russell Westbrook, uh, and so I, I think he just needs to get to a point uh, to where he's you know, a respectable shooter. He, he doesn't necessarily have to be, quote-unquote, a, a, a shooter or a knockdown shooter, and I, I think he'll get there. Yeah. I, I know this is not in our line of questioning, if you will, but now you've just kind of piqued my interest on this. At a at a prospect level scouting, for, from what you've seen so far and how, how teams like to scout, how important is shooting when it comes to what they're looking for on their list? And, and I mean – you know, you look at weight, guys like John Morant, who isn't a great shooter, but he's turned into a superstar in the NBA. He finds different ways to create space for himself, his athleticism, the way he attacks the basket. All of those things are good enough for him to end up becoming a superstar. So how important does then does the shooting end up being for teams that are trying to scout and figure out, OK, we have this guy ahead of this guy because he's this, this, this. How big of a of a skill or an indicator is shooting? You know, I mean, shooting has is, is never been as important as it is today. I mean, floor spacing is, is, is essentially, right. the, you know, probably the key word that I use when describing the, the style of playing the NBA right now. And uh, I, I think it, it depends on teams case by case, uh, you know, what other personnel they have, uh, you know, how, how they're trying to play. Um, and, you know, I think you know, guys like Scoot Henderson or John Morant, uh, you know, they are good enough to be that, that offensive engine with the ball in their hands to not be a knockdown shooter, but... Um, the guys around them, they, they better be because they, they right. need some space to, to operate a little bit, right? And so uh, it, it is definitely something that we talk about a lot. And, uh, I mean, usually going into the draft, I mean, shooting is, is something that we address, you know, pretty directly with every single prospect. I only ask because the Raptors, uh, their MO has been for a very long time, we'll teach them how to shoot. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out once he gets here. Uh, and I, you know, they've had, they've had some success in that category, but also it's, it's trusting your development. It's trusting your own development staff to be able to figure that out and map out a plan for them to actually get to there. Uh, speaking of development, the, the G league ignite program, which scoot is a part of currently, uh, has been around since 2021. They've helped a few prospects, a few top prospects transition into the NBA. Jalen green being one of them, Dyson Daniels, another one, um, Outside of working around and playing with professionals, what other aspects do you think the Ignite program helps with in regards to guys transitioning and preparing for the NBA? Yeah, I mean, first of all, they've got a great leadership group. I mean, their coaching staff, Shreve Abdurrahim overseeing it. Uh, I mean, I think that for starters like that, that's a good starting point of just you know being led by by uh, trained professionals. Uh, and, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what you said, you know, as far as playing, playing against grown men, I mean, that's, that's a huge advantage and, and just the overall professional approach. I mean, you know, they do some education stuff, but for, for the most part, uh, these guys are there to improve and get better and, and prepare for yeah. the NBA. And so uh, I, I think the, you know, the, the less amount of, of distractions and, and just focus on uh, developing, you know, is definitely something that helps a lot of kids. And I don't think it's for everybody, but I mean, for a guy like, uh, like Scoot, for example, I mean, the kid's so driven, I mean, he, he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, make the best use of all the resources. And, uh, I think that's a big reason why he's continued to get better since he, he first got there. Right. 
Yeah, it, it, it does depend on how, how willing you are and how committed you are to the program. I guess the, the other side note about the Ignite program, and I'm not sure sure what you think about this, but the NBA is considering changing its draft eligibility so that you know high school teenagers can essentially go straight to the NBA draft. My question is, what does that leave for the Ignite program? How does that does that change anything for that team? Or the way that they're running that team, because mostly it's hey, let's get the the high school guys that are doing well and put them into the ignite program and and work on them that way. But how does that change potentially if they end up changing that rule? Yeah, it really just depends on how how they outline that and, and you know, what kind of rules they put in place. I and mean, there's there's rumors flying around now that the the players union is prioritizing you know protecting older players. They don't want you know want younger guys coming in yeah. and stealing their spots. So I mean the 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 kind of give any any direct bold statement there. I think it would probably be premature just because we don't really know what we're looking at. Uh, but Fair enough. I mean I yeah. think um, you know I, I I think generally speaking you know having younger guys coming into developmental uh, spots is, is a great thing. I mean young, young guys need development with their body and emotionally and just learning the game and so uh, I think the NBA providing resources and, and you know a, a great option for kids uh, is, is is great. Have to ask you about Leonard Miller because he's a Canadian. Uh, he's in the Ignite program. He's one of my favorite prospects to watch. Obviously, as a Canadian, I, I follow the Canadian guys more heavily as well. How do you think, what are your impressions so far on his game? And, and how do you think he'll translate into the NBA? What, what do you think he provides skill-wise? Yeah, I mean, I was really intrigued with him last year. You know, he put his name in the draft, went to the NBA Combine. Um, and he's got a great size and he's got, he checks a lot of boxes. I mean, he's, he's, uh, does a little bit of everything and he struggled at the combine. And it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I was questioning, okay, is he just somewhat of a tease? You know, he's got, he's got the size and skill set that mm-hmm. you want, but is it fully put together? And, uh, it seems like this year he, he's really kind of taking the next steps and, you know, and really kind of get, having a better feel for the game. And he's been, been pretty productive and, and consistent. And so uh, I think he has played himself into uh, having a good chance of being a first round pick. Nice. Nice. Well, looking forward to it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm interested to see where he lands in the NBA draft. I, I mean, I guess speaking more generally about Canada uh, and the state, obviously you've covered, you covered the NBA draft for a while now. Elijah Fisher, a prospect that I, I've, I actually, when I was first starting out as a video intern for North Pole Hoops, shout out North Pole Hoops, I remember filming this kid in, in a very, very small gym in Toronto, Ontario, and he was just head and shoulders above the competition, just out of this world. How has his draft stock changed since he was this phenom in high school? Uh, and, and, you know, I guess in general, more generally, how have Canadian prospects changed in your time covering the game and, and covering the NBA draft? W- what are some things that you may have noticed? Yeah, first with Elijah, I mean, I, I've watched him for a long time too. I mean, he, he had so much hype there early on in high school, and uh, he has dropped off. Uh, I mean, he's definitely something we're keeping keeping uh, you know we're keeping a pulse on him. Uh, but yeah. he had, you know, hasn't had uh, sort of the um, you know journey as we once thought he would maybe. Uh, but you know, as far as Canadian hoops as a whole, I mean, yeah, it's, it's continued to get better and better. And um, you know, obviously, Steve Nash is sort of like the the Canadian hero. And but then you know, you have Wiggins coming, and Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray. I mean, it just right. it keeps going on and on. It's it's just really uh, you know, it seems like there's a great pipeline specifically in Toronto for kids coming to school and you know, ultimately playing the league. And so yeah, we we definitely uh, you know keep keep tabs on on all the Canadian kids. Yeah, I, it feels like 
every year there's more and more just just consistently more and more prospects coming out of Canada, which is always great to see. Uh, another pathway is the overtime elite program, which is going to be, you know, front and center. You you ha- you yourself had a, a conversation with the two major prospects coming out of the OTE program in Amen Thompson and Sora Thompson. What are your general general takeaways from the program? Do you think it ends up being a long-term path for players to go that route? And I guess, you know, springboarding off of that, somewhat of an impression on, on the Thompson brothers as well. Yeah, so I, full disclosure, I, I worked for Overtime Elite uh, six months prior to they launched. I helped them set up their, their scouting department. Um, and, and it's, uh, I mean, first, it's just got a lot of uh, resources behind it. I mean, they've got a lot of money behind them. Uh, the facility is absolutely incredible. They've got a great staff. Uh, really, really just a lot of, a lot of support to help the kids develop. Um, you know, my, my, the biggest concern there is, uh, uh, I mean, initially it was, you know, kids had to commit to being, you know, taking the pro path and limiting optionality of being able to go to school. They fixed mm-hmm. that, uh, which makes it much more of a positive, positive thing as a whole. Uh, the, I think the biggest hurdle now for them is increasing the level of competition, uh, and then also being able to like monetize properly without kind of compromising, you know, the integrity of the game. I mean, I, I was there a couple weeks ago and uh, they had like a smoke machine on the court. They had an MC going the whole, whole game. And so <laughs> it's it's really, the actual games are, are built for content, which is how they make money, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's the negative. But overall, I, I do like it because uh, there, there's such an emphasis on development. And so they've got, they've got access to everything they would ever need at that facility at any time. And so, I mean, the, the guys like the Thompson twins who are kind of similar to Scoot in the sense that they're very driven and, and focused on, on getting better and, getting, you know, and, and working on their game and working on their bodies, they keep getting better. I, I watched them work out before, you know, before their games. And, I mean, their, their bodies are taking, they, you know, taking their body, body, body developed to a whole other level. I mean, they're, they're yeah. going to end up being studs when, once they're grown men. And, um, yeah, long story short, I do think Overtime Elite is here to stay. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see the next steps they take, uh, but just with that amount of, of money and resources behind it, uh, th- they'll be able to keep it going for sure. Yeah, I, it, it, I'm interested to see how it goes. Obviously, I think Amen and Asora are also like they're they're sort of the the major guinea pigs in the situation where you want to see how it translates in the NBA and how how it works out. Um, but but honestly, man, I'm I'm obsessed with Amen and the body control, the craft that he has around the basket, the way that he, like his his skill is undeniable, but his athleticism is just it's raw, but it's it's so clear, it's so evident that he has it. Um, there is obviously some worries about the shooting translating into the big leagues, the talent level that they're facing in the overtime elite. That's also you know a a, a concern, if you will. Do you think those concerns are valid? And and in general, do you think their game, what you've seen so far this season, translates to the big leagues? Yeah, I'm I'm really high on both of them. I'm I'm, I'm probably slightly higher on a men than, than I am a SAR, uh, but yeah. they're they're similar and it's close. I mean, they're 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 both about six seven, you know, do it all kind of players that are two of the best athletes. I mean, I've you know close to the two best athletes I've ever seen, you know, and so uh, they can handle the ball, they can defend everybody, and I think they have a chance of becoming elite defenders uh, and and be able to defend multiple positions, which is just so valuable this day and age. I mean, you mentioned the Raptors. I mean, they want everybody to be switchable other than Van Vliet, right? So it's like, 
I mean, the Thompson Twins would be like a dream for how they're playing. Uh, but a lot of teams are operating that way. And, um, you know, the, the outside shooting is certainly their, their swing skill. Uh, but, you know, similar, uh, you know, to what I said before, they're, they're workers. They're, they're very driven. They're very serious about their craft. Uh, and, and to me, you know, guys like that that don't have totally broken shots, they'll continue to get better. And they just need to be able to shoot it enough. They don't need to be, you know, the, these three-point snipers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I really see them sort of in like the Scotty Pippen mold where, hey, what position are it's they? Just- uh, I don't know, but they can handle the ball. They can be your point guard if you want, want them to. They're, they're big-time athletes. Uh, and, and defensively, they, they have a chance of being elite. And so um, even if they don't develop to great, you know, being great shooters, I think they're going to be really effective in the, in, in the NBA. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because we're we're bringing up these top prospects, and it just seems like the floor for these guys is so high. It seems like based on based on what we've said so far is like these guys are are almost surefire to be at the minimum rotation guys in the NBA, at the very bare minimum rotation guys in the NBA. What they end up being uh, outside of that is sort of dependent on development. It's dependent on what other outlier skills they develop. It's just it it's that's exciting to me. Um, Brandon Miller is also a guy who has this season risen up draft boards at Alabama, but obviously has been mired in controversy and could be dealing with some legal troubles moving forward. How does that affect his draft stock in your opinion? Do you expect him to fall? And in general, I guess, what's your current read on on the situation with Brandon Miller? Uh, based on what what I understand is that he, he he's not going to be facing any legal legal trouble. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's in the clear there, and uh, based based off what I've heard too, is it sounds like he might be a little bit more innocent uh, from an ethical standpoint than, than it initially seemed. I, I really think he was put in a bad spot. Right. Um, but the th- the thing about it is the all of these teams will hire private investigators to dig on all these high high profile you know high lottery picks. I mean they've been doing it for years. And so they'll, they'll get clarity. And um, what I suspect is that this is not going to be a big issue for him. Uh, obviously, if there's new information that we don't know about that comes to light that's that's negative, yeah, of course, that, that will hurt him. I, I have not heard anything uh, that's, hey, this kid this kid needs to be red flagged and we can't mess with him. I, I'm expecting right. him to probably go in that, that three to five range. Right. Okay. So, so assumingly his, his draft stock isn't going to be affected by any means. So anybody hoping for th- for a draft stock to drop? Sorry, guys. Um, March Madness coming up soon. It's, it's right around the corner. Selection Sunday is right around the corner. There's, there's, it's a wide open race from what I've been told and from, from what I've been watching in terms of who might actually win this tournament. But Brandon Miller included, he's going to be 100% with Alabama as one of the best teams in, in college. He's going to be in the, the tournament. In terms of prospects to look out for, who are some of the guys that we should keep an eye out for? For the general NBA and college fan, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think with the the tournament, what I, I like watching from an NBA perspective or NBA draft perspective is, you know, the top teams have a chance of making a run and, and, and seeing how the young guys respond to, mm-hmm. a, you know, a big stage and bright lights and a lot of attention. And so, uh, I mean, like top teams like Houston, let's see what Jairus Walker does. You know, you mentioned Brandon Miller with Alabama. Uh, Keontae Georgia Baylor, Grady Dick at Kansas, Dylan Mitchell at Texas. Like I think this is an opportunity for all of these guys to move the needle. I mean, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's it's understandable for a freshman to step in to a new situation and have an up and down years. Um, you know, I mean, they could turn it around quickly. And so, I mean, I'll you know, I'll be watching closely for sure. Outside of Wembenyama, and, and actually, just outside of Wemby. Maybe even including Wemby if you'd like to. Where does this draft class stack up to recent draft classes in your memory? 
um, in terms of just prospects in general and, and how you think they would translate in the NBA? Yeah, I you know I, I think the the very top of the draft, not not even just Wemby and Scoop, but you know the top top eight, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. lottery. I think is really good. I, I like it a lot. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I do think the depth, you know, top to bottom, is pretty weak. And, and I'm really questioning in the second round how many of these guys that have eligibility left will actually stay in, in, in the draft. I think with NIL becoming a real thing, I mean, and then there's been you know reportings that some of the NIL isn't as solid as it first thought. The guys not getting paid. I don't think it's a problem for these NBA level guys though. So, so you get a guy, um, you know, the Oscar Sheway and the Drew Timmies of the world. Like, can these guys afford to not go back to school? <laughs> you know, when, when they have a market to, to go make millions of dollars in NIL. And so, okay. I, I just use those two as an example. But um, I, I do think there's going to be a number of players that don't don't stay in that would have probably has stayed in in years past. Uh, so, long story short, top part of the draft, I'm really excited about. I, I am questioning the depth though. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. I think a lot of people, well, uh, from from what I've read, there is a pretty big drop off after the lottery where it's kind of open open range from 14 to 30 ish. It's kind of like your pick of the litter, if you will. Uh, is that is that kind of your assessment of the situation as well? Yeah, I mean, there's some guys that I like. I mean, it's it's pretty early in, in the process right now to really pinpoint you know exactly what guys' ranges are. There'll be some guys that slip for various reasons or move up. Uh, you know, the NBA draft combine usually helps guys uh, move the needle. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I think you know, I think the lottery, the mid first round, um, that's when it starts to taper off a little bit. Right. Yeah. Are there are there any uh, under the radar prospects that you have that are your favorites? Maybe guys that you're saying, hey, this is this is someone you should be paying attention to, um, you know, that that we should kind of keep our eye on. Yeah, two guys. I, I'm not sure how much of uh, you know hidden gems they are at this stage, but guys that kind of come off from the the, the beaten path uh, that that have a chance of being first rounders is uh, Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm pretty interested with him. I, I watched him in person earlier in the year, and uh, really fits the modern game of being like a six nine uh, versatile defender. You know, stretch stretch four. Um, I, I think he I think he's got a very good chance of being a first round pick. And then another guy at a small school, uh, Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine, uh, who's a big long wing um, that, that's just had a really great year. I, I think both of these guys that uh, you know pro- probably gonna be first round picks that that are coming from from smaller schools, which we don't see all all that often. Right. Maxwell Lewis, a guy, a lot of Raptors fans pining for Maxwell Lewis that they, they, they know where they're, they're landing and they're, they're expecting that that's what they're hoping for. I'm not sure. He kind of fits the mold, if you will, of guys that, that they, they look for. Um, I wanted to dive into you yourself, the, the, the work that you've put in, um, you know, with your career and, and your past, but also your family's legacy, which is, genuinely incredible by the way it's it you know i should have should have mentioned this at the top but it's it's uh, it's honestly uh, an honor if you will to be able to talk to a babcock because man the, uh, especially from a raptors perspective we have we have had our fair share of of rob babcock and i know um you know being your uncle obviously you might have had some stories or maybe some 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 things that you've heard from his time there or any of of your your father or your uncles that that may have uh, had some interesting stories so i'm just curious you know anything interesting that you could potentially share with the the listeners uh about your uncle and your and your family's legacy 
No, sorry. First of all, thanks, thanks for saying all that. That was a lot of kind of words. And uh, I was my uh, my uncle Rob's tenure in, in Toronto wasn't wasn't a great one. <laughs> He's kind of get labeled yeah. as the yeah. you know, known for the guy that traded Vince Carter. And um, yeah, but you know, it, it was one of these things where you know he signed up uh, for a job that he knew was going to be challenging. Uh, he, he didn't expect the thing with with Vince to, to go so sour so quickly. Uh, and, you know, really kind of put it put himself in uh, in between a rock and a hard place. Um, right. But, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting is that years later, uh, Vince ended up uh, playing on the Atlanta Hawks, and my my cousin Rob's son was on that staff, and they ended up becoming really close. And so it's sort of funny how it <laughs> how it came full circle with you know Vince not liking my uncle because I, if I remember correctly, he wanted Doctor J hired instead of my uncle Rob, and it just right. started off on a, on, a, on, a, on a bad foot. But uh, yeah, they they patched it up years later, which uh, which was, which is good. Wow, that is that is a, an incredible story. I, that's the way the the small world of the NBA, if you will. It it always feels that way. Um, knowing as much as you do in terms of behind the scenes stuff, you mentioned earlier that you, that you had worked as an agent before. Um, obviously, working covering the NBA draft right now, and and your family's experience watching your father and your and his two brothers potentially work in the league. What is the most common misconception fans have about front offices in the NBA? and how they operate because i feel like there's a lot of misconceptions but what's the most common misconception that fans have yeah about, i mean you know, every team every team operates differently uh but you know one thing that i think that the public uh d- d- doesn't understand a lot of times is that owners do have a, a big voice even even when, at times when they say they don't and so for example like even mm-hmm. with the vince carter situation is uh you know my uncle was labeled as the one that traded vince this was a group decision. Like you're not trading a superstar without the owner being involved, or you're not right. you're not using right. a top five pick without your owner, you know, ha- having say on it. I mean, a lot of times, and again, it goes it goes back to every owner's a little bit different, every team's a little bit different. Generally speaking, with the big decisions, ownership's stepping in, but they don't want the public to know that because they want to be able to fire the GM and, and pin it on them if it doesn't work. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. that's pretty common, and uh, I, I think that's that's a pretty big misconception. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I I feel like obviously the the input of an owner is probably different franchise to franchise, but I, I think that's that's an interesting point to bring up how how impactful those decisions may be and and how collective they are. Man, it's a group decision. It's 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 a lot about that. Um, I wanted to ask you. Obviously, the NBA draft is a couple of months away, but we are uh, you know March Madness again, right around the corner. What kind of draft content can we expect from you going forward in the season? Yeah, so I just moved over to uh, Draft Digest, uh, which is a channel by Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation. Uh, they, they have had a, a great group of writers there, and I'm going to be assisting them, you know, providing quotes of some of their articles. And then I'm going to be taking over, uh, we're, we're creating a section of the site called Draft Digest Pro. Uh, it's going to be the, the premium content behind a paywall. Uh, so pretty much all my stuff will be in there, my rankings, my big board, my mock draft, you know, written content. And then I'm bringing uh, some, a few of my guys that, that have worked with me in the past at Babcock Hoops and at Basketball News, uh, Jason Felipe uh, and Doc Martin, who are both extremely experienced NBA scouts, uh, both have 15, 20 years of experience. Uh, Jason's based in Bologna, Italy, so he's sort of our, our in-house international expert. Uh, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to have them start doing uh, scout reports that we publish. Uh, and then my right-hand man, Derek Murray, uh, who's been with me for years, uh, just, just sort of just an extension of me. Uh, and he, he, uh, his full-time gig now is he's the, the head of basketball for Cerebro Sports, which is an analytics company uh, that's backed by Mark Cuban. And uh, with, with this new financial backing, they, they added uh, a new sort of arm to, to the company, uh, a, a traditional scouting 
uh, division, which I'm, I'm leading the NBA draft. And um, so Derek's going to work with us at Draft Digest as well, you know, providing some content, maybe from like an analytics look and, and sort of bridging the gap on prospects of what makes them appealing uh, from an analytics standpoint, but also kind of combining that with with uh, you know the old school eye test, but um, yeah, that's that's the bulk of our content. And then I uh, uh, just recently launched the Matt Babcock Show with Title League, uh, a podcast. I think we've posted uh, published like twelve episodes already, and we're starting uh, to mix in some in person interviews. I was just in Atlanta with the Thompson Twins. Uh, that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, trying to pin down Scoot Henderson, um, you know, guys like that. So should, should should have some good content coming out. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's great to hear. I'm excited to check out the Thompson Twins interview. I, I saw you preview that. And uh, between Cerebro and Title League, we probably have a lot of mutuals because I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I know a bunch of people from both those places. So very, very cool. Excited to see the content that you have coming up, Matt. Appreciate you coming on the show as well. Uh, it is a pleasure to be able to talk about the NBA draft, especially with someone who is as in the know uh, as you are. So Matt Babcock, uh, Draft Digest senior NBA draft analyst here. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Objective Basketball Podcast. For all those people listening, go ahead and do the subscribing, the liking, the commenting that you guys always do. We appreciate you and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.